0: Welcome to the Beekeepers Corner Podcast. September 24th, 2019, episode 159 Domesticated. Hello, everyone. Kevin England, your host, with you. How's everybody doing? I know it's September. Where did summer go? I took a break. I really didn't plan to do that, but it just manifested itself. I called this episode Domesticated because, well, it's kind of what I've been up to. Domestic activities. Uh, Since the last show, I've been focused on taking care of things around the house that have been neglected. And also, I must admit, squeezing any last pleasures I can out of summer when I can clean the gutters, brush the chimneys. I've been away for a double-header race weekend. We did some car shopping over the past few weekends, finally settled on a replacement for Sharon's RAV4, which we gave to Brian. Yeah, it's been one of those things where I've had to take a bit of a respite to take care of things that were neglected, all during the spring and early summer when I was prepping for Master beekeeper and not taking time to look after things around the house. This weekend, there was one other thing neglected that needed some attention that it got its due. I went through all my hives, and I'll talk about that in the local hive report. That being said, the episode's going to be a bit organic in nature. I'm literally going to talk about things that are top of mind. And about recent activities I participated in for beekeeping. Really, no formal agenda like usual, just riffing about local beekeeping meetings, some uh, activities that I participated in with the Malawians who are here, and a couple news and notes about people who wrote in and things to follow up on. That out of the way, let's start our journey in the customary way. Let's go to the local hive report. On Sunday, I went through just about all my hives. I've been absent in checking in on them because I've been trying to get all the other stuff done around the house. But some point, you reach a threshold. And I knew that when I got to Sunday, if I hadn't taken care of the odds and ends that I was supposed to I was going to dedicate a full day to them. So I kind of had this day circled on the calendar. And I have this thing where I do maintain a to-do list to go out, feed the bees, check on things, do this, do that. I have kept the bee yard mode. I went out one weekend and weeded the whole thing and did whatever. But I hadn't done any inspections of meaning. I've just been doing external views and letting them be so to be, so to so to say, I should say. But I know at some point I had that 60day threshold where I wanted to remove my avar and so I had to stay circled and who would have guessed that it would have been hot and miserable? It was awful. It was 83 degrees when I started and I think it was something like 87 or 88 at 5 p.m., 6 p.m. when I was done. I started out with a light uh, beekeeping veil just to see how the bees were doing and they were very calm and nice during the middle of the day. And almost uh, immediately I shed everything off and just did all my inspections in a t-shirt. So, well, what do I say? Going through the hives, the first one was the Northwest hive. It is finally built up to two full boxes. I'm happy about that. I'm the custodian of this hive. It would be bad if I couldn't get it to where it was supposed to be. Is it a great hive? No, it's not. It's still a little scabby, but I did do a mite check, and there was literally one mite in the sample. The polyhive was next. It had three total mites. I'm okay with that. If I review uh, what I was doing, I could tell you that most of my hives were like this. Anything that I checked, nothing went over the threshold. But I had other objectives, and what I did was, I went out early that morning, and I literally walked hive to hive to hive, looking at how many boxes it had, what I knew about its history, and I made a checklist of things to do for each particular hive. I noted whether it had an entrance reducer, whether it had a feeder box on the top, whether I knew it had an appovar treatment that needed to be pulled. I find that when you do this ahead of time, it really is a good practice, and it helps you stay organized. And the good news is, I had loaded my cart with all the equipment I needed in order to perform the activities, and not once did I have to run out to the garage. When I started the day, I lit my smoker with my torch. I don't mean one of the stick lighters that I usually use. I finally put butane in the torch that I got for Christmas and used that. That's pretty cool. I'm not a fan of butane lighters. I have like four or five of them in the kit because you never know. One of them you step on and break. Sometimes you go to use them they won't light. Sometimes the button is broken or you can't push the thing forward to overwhelm the lock. I mean, it's just a pain. This butane thing is a little costly. However, it was very nice to use and it just did its deal. So my objectives were pull the ApoVar, check the stores, place the feeder boxes, put entrance reducers if they didn't have them, And I really had thought at the beginning of the day that I was going to put robber screens on all my hives. I've noticed walking around in the yard and walking around even out in the bee yard, not just my property, a lot of yellow jackets around this time of year. You see them inspecting things. They're going for water. They're just there. You see them. But I did not see them accosting my hives. I didn't see them flying in there. I'm going to kind of keep a watch and I did not put robber screens on my hives yet. The reason being is it appears we're stolen in a nectar flow. I see a spectacular amount of activity at the hives during the heart of the day and I know that three-quarters to a quarter or to a mile away from my house there's a huge field of goldenrod at minimum for them to go after and they seem to be foraging pretty earnestly now, I see a lot of pollen going in, and I just assume that if I put those robber guards on right now, before their time, I'd probably uh, thwart them from having good progress, so I deferred from doing that. Hey, going down through the thing, though, not all is rosy. Part of that neglect thing, the summer neglect, and quite frankly, this is embarrassing, The hive that was on pad 7, which was not a big hive at all. Something I was trying to nurse along. It perished. And apparently it's been gone long enough that the wax moths took over the entire hive. I mean, they took it over. There's wax moths everywhere. All the wax is consumed. Boy, that sucks. I hate cleaning up after wax moth. The bad news is... I harvested the honey on my cedar hive, which was on the fifth pad, and at the time it looked great, plenty of bees, in fact, I had to use a fume board to push them down to get them out so that I could pull the honey from them. I know the hive was not empty, it had reasonable stores and a reasonable population, but on Sunday, and if you watch the video I shot, you'll see I am literally shocked, empty, Gone, robbed, devoid of any life. Now, if I pull through it and look, I find brood frames that had spotty little brood, which to me sometimes is an indicative of mites. I do see mite frass, or for those who are not familiar with that term, it's poo left by mites. And anywhere there was stored honey, other bees have come in and shredded the cappings, And there's this dusting of fine particulate all over the place. I am decimated by that. That's awful. I can't believe that hive is gone. I'm just shocked. And what's funny about that hive is I did treat it in the spring. But I did not treat it in the July time frame when I treated all my other hives. Because I intended to pull honey from it. I actually purchased... Formic Pro and was going to treat that hive, and lo and behold, the thing was gone. So, my aha moment from this is I need to pay more attention in the summer. I'm just devastated at the fact that I've recognized a pattern where I have all the optimism in the spring. I'm building hives, they're building momentum. We get to the summer dearth, and I start losing hives. I have one other hive that is a combo hive, and it was just so-so. Not a surprise, honestly, but it is what it is. Uh, that hive was weak to begin with, and I took a double nuke that I had that was queenless, put them in a single box, and I did the paper combine method where you put a sheet of paper between the two after you smoke them heavily and hope that they'll make one colony. Um, yeah, they, they are one colony, but they don't look very good, and I'm really going to have to feed it in order to do it. The good news is I've done this here in September, and I have from now until Halloween to really boost these hives and get them going. One other hive I want to talk about is the Layens Nuke. It's pretty much a box with a roof on it and two holes in the front for the bees to come and go. It's not something that I could do an oxalic treatment, and it's more appropriate for, say, Apivar strips to go down between the frames. But my challenge is I don't have any Apivar. I still have probably 56 days, which is the treatment window for a full treatment. And I think this weekend I'm going to go try and find some apovar to put in that hive. I really hate to lose it and be neglectful. Now, they started as a swarm in late June. They built out the entire colony, including wax from foundation. And so if they do have mites, it's probably low. And I don't think I'm in that much jeopardy. So Local Hive Report, I I think it's okay. I'm not thrilled. You know, the thing is, is I was so excited going into Sunday. And whenever you find problems, it takes you down a little. But my optimism is growing. I know I need to feed. We just bought uh, some sugar from Costco. And I need to stop procrastinating and get that sugar mixed and get them on my hives. So Local Hive Report. I guess it's okay. Uh, I'll feel better when all my hives are in winter shape uh, but not until then, which is going to keep me hungry for that. One thing I um, neglected to announce, I filmed all of these. If you go to youtube.com slash nwnjba and look for the Hive inspection list. I did literally film each and every inspection that I did fully. So if you want to spend the time to see me go through in my commentary and my discoveries and doing my checks and things like that, head on over to the YouTube channel for Northwest and you'll be able to see all of those. Local Hive report, check. Let's go ahead and move on to one of our next topics. A second topic for this episode, I want to talk about our friends from Malawi. This is a time, highly anticipated, where our visitors, the people we went to see in Malawi, have come to the U.S. Originally, they had planned to bring over eight. I think I mentioned on the podcast before that only four got cleared by the government to come over. Uh, Was able to meet with them, took a day off on Friday, and went up to Ford's, New Jersey, with Bob Kloss. Tim Schuler, the former state apiarist, is hosting the Malawians for the first part of their journey here to the U.S. And he drove them up to Ford's to meet with Grant Stiles, who is the biggest beekeeper in New Jersey, to give them a tour of his operation, show them some of what he's doing, and also uh, give them a taste of how commercial beekeeping is done in the US. I was happy to go up there and get a one-on-one. Wellings Malabu, Mr. Malabu as we call him, was was there along with Frank Manjamanda. The other two Malawians did not make the trip I'll talk about them in a minute. Um, we met Grant along with Tim Schuler, the two Malawians, and Eric Cannon, our friend who also went to Malawi, came and joined us. And we spent the day together, and we toured what Grant has going on in his operation. If I describe Ford's New Jersey, it's one of those off-the-beaten-path, away-from-the-highway, but typical New Jersey urban towns. It's got an old main street with a bunch of old buildings that have been built in a long time, some dilapidated, some have been rehabilitated, some industrial light use. You see buildings that used to be houses that are attorney's offices. That's the typical lay of the land. And We were literally right off a side street from the main street in Grant's shop. Grant's building is a the one we visited first was his factory where he produces does his honey packing and specifically grant is a principal in mike's hot honey it's a brand of honey that you'll see on the shelves of any commercial supermarket including i think walmart you could buy it through amazon Uh, around the u.s we saw it when we were out in seattle that tells you how dispersed it is because it's a food product And it even qualifies higher than typical honey, which is often exempt because of its profile to last forever. Mike's hot honey is a combination of chili sauce or chili oils. And because that makes it a food product, it's subject to a higher um, scrutiny. So Grant took us through his operation. We donned uh, headgear meaning nets over top. We signed in, and it's run like any typical U.S. factory where you are in a clean environment. All visitors are encountered for. And honestly, it was uh, pretty impressive. You know, Grant is a, a great guy, an interesting guy. I've encountered Grant in various places along the way, sometimes through just meetings where he's attending, sometimes where he's presenting. Grant is a former state apiarist of New Jersey and just one of those guys that has a lot of layers to him. And during that visit, both Bob and I were commenting, because we drove later in the day somewhere else, about how surprising it is to learn more and more about Grant's operation. And I could see why Tim entrusted him as a a confidant, uh, a finger on the pulse of how beekeeping works in the world because Grant has so much going on. Grant showed the Malawians his operation, how he brings the honey in, how he offloads the honey, and he has the equipment to take any honey, whatever condition it is. Remember, he runs all year long, so sometimes his... uh, source honey will be cold and it has to be heated to 110 degrees in order for it to flow through the system so he shows his hot box he shows the place where he dumps the honey in to heat it up he shows the pumps that moves the honey around the operation line and squirts it into the jars as they're running through the assembly line he showed the machine that is a separate wing of his production line. You could think of like how it's made if you've ever seen the show, that crushes the, the chili and squeezes it like a, like a big drill press. And the premise of that is that's how the chili oil gets interspersed and mixed with the honey. I mean, it's just a cool thing. The bottling line goes through, it codes with the batch, where it puts a barcode on the bottle, And then it goes through the labeler, and then they have the packing station. And just the whole thing is what you would expect. Really neat to see that. Uh, After we got the tour of the operation there where he packs honey, both Mike's hot honey and his other regular just jarring honey, we walked across town, across the little town of Fords, to where Grant lives and has his little shop. In his shop, he has a small little front room where he sells beekeeping supplies. There's a couple container boxes sitting out in the parking lot where if he needs to replenish, he opens them up and restocks his shelves. So he has a small amount in the uh, showroom itself. And behind it, he has another processing place where he bottles his honeys. There's a labeling machine right there in the front and it looks like an operation that's been going a long time. It's crammed full of stuff, as you would expect in a small space. It's just a small house-like building that he runs his operation on. Uh, we were able to go upstairs at one point and see his candle-making room, where he has this long, I'll describe it as a trough, it's probably the wrong word, a uh, long station with a bunch of tubes that have the silicone molds, that they make different candles, soap, and other products of the hive. If you can tell, the operation is fascinating. I mean, this is a guy that runs 8,000 colonies all up and down the East Coast. He has this huge operation in the uh, northern New York State area, Thousand Lakes area. And up there, he showed uh, part of his operation where he has bottling and, and or, um, collection where they do the actual bring the frames in, take the cappings off and you know put everything in the tanks, get it filtered and transform it into 55 gallon drums that operation is massive and, you know again it comes to appreciate how industrious his, he is and all through the entire day you can get a sense of Grant's business acumen, uh, somewhat like Shark Tank in, in a comparison where he understands what costs some money, what makes him money, how to make sure that the operation doesn't bleed, where he's going in the future and all of that. Again, just the, the many layers of Grant. And so to cap the day off, I kind of went out of order. When we saw the factory, Uh, We walked out of there, and we went to a new storefront that Grant is building. This is a new space, a new operation that he is conducting. He has this long, typical Main Street storefront, and he's gutted this building down to the studs pretty much, and he's rebuilding it. When we were there, the metal framework was out facing Main Street, But it was all covered with plywood because he was anticipating the glass delivery for the storefront. And that's literally what it's going to be. It's going to be his new store. Uh, Grant is a Man Lake dealer, and he's also styles apiaries. So he sells honey products of his own, making products of the hive, and he's building a retail store. But the interesting twist to this is in the back of the store, he has a plan to build a meeting space and he intends to do beekeeper training. The back wall's gonna have a projector with a screen and he's gonna partition that area off from the store where all the goods are sold to hold classes. And being uh, very neighborhood community conscientious, he also discussed the ability for local places to come in like rotary or whatever, I'll make that up and hold their events there in his meeting space. So, man, what a cool thing. Hard hard to envision all the stuff that Grant has going on. Yeah, I was impressed. And the whole point of this was to show the Malawians what the potential is for a beekeeping operation. And I think they saw it in spades. I don't know... um, how big Grant is in comparison to the heavyweights like Miller and you know all of them, but needless to say, my impression is he's not a lightweight. He's comparable to any of the commercial folks, and it's fascinating that he's doing it on the East Coast swing. So there were just morsels of all kinds of information that he relayed that opened my eyes up to different things. Uh, his discussion about his honey business versus pollination and how messy pollination is and why he he personally their business has chosen not to go that route. They do pollination services, but it's not the core of their focus. I think the impression that I came away with is he has a lot of focus on a bunch of different things and he's just a an energizer bunny with all the things he's doing. So really, really cool. For the Malawians and for us, too, right? I've always dreamed of um, having a chance to get a kind of firsthand look of Grant's operation. I've heard so much about it secondhand and got to see kind of an insider's view from that visit. So I really want to thank Grant for opening his doors up and making it known how he does things. So very cool. Really enjoyed that styles apiaries you can look them up on the web and if you go and do searches he does a lot of presentations Uh, i know we saw him speak at the chester county beekeepers association symposium this year Uh, he gave three or four talks and you know he's he's pretty much out there he's really helping out the beekeeping communities Next topic on the agenda is related to fall management. I hinted at this in the local hive report. After we met with Grant Stiles, which I just spoke about, we took a ride up to Ramapo. We had a nice dinner. We met with John Gott, came and joined us. And the Malawians were invited guests to the northeast New Jersey Beekeepers Association meeting. And we had a good time. Uh, we, we drove from Ford's up north to Ramapo, Bob and I, to accompany them. And we sat in on the meeting where the Malawians uh, thanked the Northeast Group for their contributions. They've done quite a bit to support the Villages in Partnership Program and uh, the work that we're doing with the Malawi beekeepers. At that meeting, we talked about fall management. They answered, did a Q&A question about that. And a lot of interesting ideas about what to do. I came away with an interesting impression that we tend to be a little more um, forthright about testing for mites and treating in July and August. But I've picked up lately from the Raritan Valley meeting that I went to on Thursday night, And from this meeting on Friday night, that other groups are not as fastidious about that. And I don't know if we're being overly conservative at Northwest by asking people to monitor their mites more so in July and August. But uh, as my cedar hive attests, I really feel like that time frame when the summer nectar flow comes to an end, usually July 15th in central New Jersey, to September time frame where goldenrod and aster come out, that's when the mites can overwhelm your hive. So I'm kind of surprised that some of the other groups are not as attuned to that, and I'm wondering if we're overthinking this. Uh, That being said, quite an interesting exchange back and forth. Um, It's always fun to sit in on somebody else's meeting. Uh, and Valley meeting on thursday night they just did basically a question and answer session uh similar they also had a honey contest which um yeah 20 entries i put my little one in and was shocked You could have knocked me over with a feather that i won the black label which was funny it was cool um I find at times I just like to go out. I, I was at the Raritan Valley meeting. I am a member there, and I kind of sat in the back row. And I just like to hear what others are saying, what they're seeing, what, what's going on uh, summertime with hives and, and things. Uh, one beekeeper at Raritan Valley said that the Yellow Jackets overtook his hive, destroyed his hive. That made me a little nervous. I'm not sure why or where he was. Maybe he had yellow jacket nests right near his hive or something, but um, that was an interesting disclosure which got my antenna up. Uh, All in all, interesting couple days to attend beekeeper meetings. It's uh, something that maybe you do or don't do, but if you're not, it's just fun every once in a while to go get in and amongst your peers and... uh, See what they're up to, what they're doing. Ramapo meeting was uh, punctuated at the end with a visit from Ed, <laughs> who's one of their beekeepers, was showing me an oxalic acid vaporizer machine. Not one of the pans that heats the, the crystals up, but this is a uh, like an Oxavap knockoff. The difference is he made it by hand. Homemade. He had this thing he kept referring to as a PID, P-I-D. I think that's what he was saying. And it looks like some sort of uh, thermostat controller. He had a blue electrical box mounted on a metal frame with a couple wood pieces and a handle and extended out to this, it was like an inch and a half diameter copper piece of pipe. That was cut off to make the bowl by which the chemicals get heated up and vaporize out the little spigot that was um welded on the front it's probably soldered not literally welded but if you want to see what i'm talking about youtube.com slash n-w-n-j-b-a uh there's a video where he took me through the device i started looking at um looking into this homemade machine. I didn't know about it to say, how does it work? What's the engineering behind it? And lo and behold, on source I found this uh, thread. I think there's 16 pages of comments. It's been going on for a couple years of how someone had the idea or stole the idea or borrowed the idea or came up with the idea and didn't read the whole thread to make this. And you hear and see all these people submitting comments almost like a maker forum where everybody went through and talked about making these devices. There's different form factors, different designs, different approaches. One of the things it has is this uh, band heater is what it's referred to. It has a band that goes around that copper pipe, and when supplied electricity, that heats up the copper pipe to create uh, an atmosphere that melts the crystals. And the other thing that Ed had was this little like bong, little silicone piece that you put the crystals in and you put it over the cap and turn it over and when it caps the the device, it dumps the crystals in for it to vaporize. All cool little ingenuity uh, things. Kids say whether it's the right thing, whether it develops it. You know, if I look at um, Oxivap, the commercial device that you can buy, I don't know if it is exceeds or is functionally equivalent to this homemade one. Don't know. Have no experience with it. Um, but still, really cool device. You should go out and check the video out. I'll have a link to that. And I'll have a link to the B Source Forum where you can go dig in on people's commentary and advice and guidance on where to buy the parts, what kind of parts, how they make it, and different approaches. So uh, this is where you get out and learn a lot by getting to see what other people are doing. speaking of meetings this weekend is the northwest meeting as i've mentioned i'm getting prepared to do that i'm doing a short little talk i'm trying to keep it brief on the basics of preparation for fall management we're meeting at one of the members houses this go-round and we're having a combination potluck picnic meeting and the malawians are coming out to this meeting there's four of them let's talk about that Frank Bonjamanda is the kind of coordinator of the beekeeper program. We always refer to him as the Tim Schuler of Malawi. He kind of coordinates the bee meetings, the, the collaboration, the training. and it's always fun to talk to Frank. He's very inquisitive, takes a lot of notes, and you could just tell he's constantly thinking through how he can take the information back. Mr Malabu if I you know, one of the things we learned, we didn't know this when we went to Africa, is that you typically refer to people by their last name politely. Nobody told us that till I just learned that from Tim while we were at Grant Stiles' house. So Malabu is really his last name, which is what we always refer to him out of respect. He's the chief. He's the head guy at Namangazi Farm and one of the principal directors of the Villages in Partnership program, the beekeeping aspect is just one of his many responsibilities. And when he comes and speaks, I'll be able to put a little bit of commentary in here if I can get a chance to do that. Um, it's, it's impressive how he sees the bigger picture, uh, really does a great job for the organization. Joe, uh, I can't pronounce his last name, so I'll, I'll leave that off. He's the third of four Malawians that came over. Joe's the coordinator of their construction projects. One of the things that Villages in Partnership is going to be doing soon is building a second school, or third, I don't know how many they've built so far, and a huge medical facility the gala that I spoke of was to try and raise funds to support the construction of those two projects I'm happy to report that they raised four hundred thousand dollars and that seems like a lot of money but when it comes to the coordination collaboration of building things in Malawi uh, it's such a complicated task and the funds will go well to helping those efforts and continuing the mission that is just impeccable for villages in partnership and the work they're doing for the 26 villages they serve. So Joe was our logistics guy. He's the one that helped coordinate our transportation the entire time we were there, but in the time when Americans are not uh, occupying his space, he's the one that hires the contractors and assures that all of the projects to build wells, build bridges, build schools, build whatever infrastructure that VIP is funding, is taken care of. So uh, the other person, Mata, she was a coordinator of teams and collaboration. Uh, Being a female, she took a lesser role Kind of more behind the scenes less out front that's just the way it is in malawi but i know that the collaboration between all of the people in the operation uh, both the beekeepers and uh, coordination of people who helped our facilities and all of that um, i don't want to use the word administrator because that that cheapens what she does she's the chief <laughs> that's my impression All of the coordination and collaboration amongst the men, she's got it figured out, and uh, she's just a pleasure to see and talk to and and work with. Uh, You could tell that when things get done, Mata had a hand in it. it. It's pretty neat to have them. So they're all four of them are coming to our Northwest meeting, and they're. There to uh, pay respects for what Northwest is doing to support the program and also tell us a little bit about Malawi. Uh, Dave Leary has hives in his back property. I was talking with Dave, I saw him at the gala, and what he said to me is that he has fields of goldenrod around his hives, but his asters are so amazing this year that the bees are working all of that stuff more, and they're not even touching the goldenrod at this time. That tells me what an amazing year it is this year in New Jersey for forage, especially here in the fall, which is hit and miss. Now, he's north of Interstate 78. And what I've noticed in observing the last number of years is It seems to be anything north of Interstate 78, which splits the state north to south, somewhere near the middle, um, tends to have a good fall nectar flow. Not so much down in my area. Uh, But I have to say this year I've seen quite a bit of goldenrod in central New Jersey. So I'm looking forward to going to Dave's. And the other thing about Dave is he makes kick-ass barbecue. I mean, the guy has got it figured out. And that's his job. He loves to host us just as an excuse to, yeah, make barbecue. So if you happen to be in the Warren County area this weekend, feel free to come out and join us. We'd love to have you. Time to switch topics. Let's call this uh, maybe the roundtable section, the back of the book. I got a message from listener... Russ Sprangle about Bettercomb follow-up. I've talked on previous episodes about this product. He sent me some images that make me feel the same way he does about it. The jury is out with this stuff. Uh, He bought 20 frames and for the most part the stuff has held up so let me start with that. It's working as intended. However, there are a couple frames that have a uh, Escher-esque droop to them. <laughs> Is it Escher that did that? I have to think about it. Who's the guy that made the melting clocks that droop over I, I don't know if it was Escher or somebody else. But anyway, <laughs> that's a Kevin moment right there. Um, I don't know if it's the heat, the weight, but whatever the problem was, uh Russ expressed it as anywhere nectar was stored, it became too heavy. And what happened is the cells, which were normal cell size, elongated. They stretched into ovals. And towards the end, it almost looks like the entire thing melted and sagged some. The side effect, according to Russ's email, is that the queen, where some of those occurred, started to perceive those as like drone frames, drone brood and laid drones in them. And that's, to some respect, what it looks like, although we know the cause of this was from nectar storage, and it couldn't hold the weight. Russ's uh, final comment, if I remember the email correctly, was that he was going to not give up on the product, continue to experiment it. In fact, I think he said he was gonna buy some more for spring and the jury's still out as to how this product's gonna perform in, in the wild. And of course, if I think about this, I don't want this to go down as the product is not useful. Uh, I want you to expect that it's a new product and they have the ability to take feedback and make corrections and maybe they could change the formula to make it stiffer. Maybe when he put it in, I'll make this up. I'm making it up completely, so don't you know, go crazy on this. But you know, beasts sometimes use propolis in order to firm up some of the comb. And they probably do that while they're building it. But since they didn't build this, they don't have that attribute. And maybe in time with cocoons or other things. um, These would stiffen up some. So it is disconcerting to see the pictures that he sent. However, that being said, I think um, we have to be objective about this and, and allow time to let the product coalesce, so to speak. I'm sure that if what he saw was prevalent with other persons who were using this, that feedback would get back and they could probably tweak the formula of the wax they're using in order to stiffen it up a little more. I still say this stuff is pretty impressive and uh, yeah. Uh, on that end, um, I realized a bit of a faux pas on my part. I built a discussion about better comb. And because I wrote it and was prepared to do it, I thought that I put it in the show, but when I went back afterwards to refer to it, realized that I never recorded it. I was a figment of my own imagination, so to speak. So uh, it's still worthwhile. In the upcoming episode, I'll go back and circle on that because I wanted to talk about the production of this, how it all works, Uh, not for this episode, but a future one that was one of those topics that I said is prepared and in the can, but never made it to the show. And, uh, I'm glad that Russ is keeping me honest and, uh, letting me know how his better comb, uh, experiment is going because I didn't get a chance to do one this summer. Next round table item. I wanted to give a shout out to Connor Cleary. Uh, Connor rode me in a couple different times while I've been on hiatus. And, uh, Was in Alaska checking out the beekeeping scene and also sent me a message saying that he was going to be a honey judge for the first time. Uh, Sent me a clip with a link to the YouTube video that we shot of Tim Shuler talking about being a honey judge. And there's a video on youtube.com slash NWNJPA of Tim Shuler talking about how to judge what he looks for, how it works, and all of that stuff. And I hope that was helpful. There was a shot uh, sent of a uh, judging, it looks like, apiary, a different um, thing. and Yeah, looks like Connor's got a lot of things going on. And that was pretty cool. Thanks, Connor, for sending that note over. I appreciate that. In this roundtable, I want to talk about the bees. Not the bees, but the bees. If you ever find yourself flying into London Heathrow Airport, And you're sitting in the window seat. Look out the window, just on approach to the airport. I believe I was on the right side of the plane, facing the front. You'll see a stadium. Uh, the, The thing that I noticed was, even from the air, you could read the bees. So, it's Griffin Park, which is home of the Brentford Football Club in the city of Brentford it's in the town of Hounslow in England and across the stadium which has this big huge roof there's red seats and painted in block letters it says the bees how do I know this because I took a picture of it and then I went back and did all the research I could to try and figure out what the heck that stadium was the bad news is, I don't know how long it's going to be there because the bees have moved. They swarmed. <laughs> it says they moved to a new site on Lionel Road in Kewbridge, wherever that is in England. So I guess at some point, if somebody else starts to use that stadium, since the bees don't play there anymore, they'll paint the letters out. But for now, it was kind of cool to see it. This roundtable, sorry, has nothing to do with beekeeping, just something that amused me lately and I thought I would share. I found this feature on Bing, the search engine, that allows you to look up people born on a specific date. I was interested, or knew already, who was born on my birthday, which is August 30th. Warren Buffett, Cameron Diaz... Bebe Rexha, who's a singer, Ted Williams, the baseball player, Fred McMurray, all these people born on my birthday. I thought it would be neat to go and try and find out who was born in my birth year, which, yeah, I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> bold. <laughs> but starting August first this year, I went into Bing and I typed people born on August one then 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and so on, through to August 30th. And even through to today, people born on September 24th. Phil Hartman, F. Scotts, Fitzgerald, Jim Henson from the Muppets was born on the 24th, and so on. What I typically do is it presents you probably about 30 names. And I scroll through to see who was born on the year I was born. I want to see who's my age and born literally within days of me, younger or older. And I've been doing this for a while. The funny thing about it is, over the last uh, number of days, you only see maybe one or two people born in your year. And when I click on it, they're serial killers from my year. <laughs> What was it about my year that that it was the year for cel- serial killers? <laughs> I thought that was kind of amusing. It tickled my pranging bone. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is about that. But if you want to have a little fun, go to Bing, type people born on September 24th or whatever date, and you can see that. Sometimes you learn things you don't want to know. I feel a bit squeamish talking about serial killers on the show and it has nothing to do with beekeepers so I'm going to throw in this round table. I'll call this the Not-So-Great Escape. Earlier in the show I talked about taking the honey off the cedar hive before its demise. And I mentioned, I think, that I used a fume board. A fume board is a great device. It uses... Butric acid, that's what I've been using with it. You could use Fisher's Bee Quick or some other thing, um, which the chemical smell repels the bees down. And then you just literally take the boxes off. There might be an errant bee here or there who've braved the smells of what you put in. But for the most part, they work really, really well. What he didn't talk about is the actual first attempt at trying to get the bees out. In the garage, I have a triangle escape board. I was always familiar with that's how you got bees out of honey boxes. You could either use a fume board, like I just described, or a triangle escape board. Well, actually, early in my hobbyist career, I want to point that out, (laughs) it was early. I bought one of those because I wanted to know how they worked. And what do I know? I just put it on the hive and... Dang thing didn't work. Didn't really have a use for it. Then I found out that I put it on upside down. So comically, I admit that. <laughs> found out after the fact that I didn't use it right. When I went to EAS this year in South Carolina, I was wandering around the show, and one of the things we studied are what are the ways that you can get bees out of a honey box. And triangle skateboard came up, fume board came up. The other thing was this thing called the eight way escape. And there's also a Porter B escape. But the eight way is the device I saw on the table. And I said, you know, for teaching purposes, I'm going to buy one of them. But in order to understand how it works, it'd be great to use it. So the week prior to going away on vacation in England, I went out and followed John Gott's instructions, broke the honey boxes off the top of the hive, put the eight-way bee escape in, and put the boxes over top of the escape and let them sit there for two nights. Now, what John told me was, in his use of the triangle escape board, which is essentially the same device, you go through the hole, you go out the path, and then you don't find your way back in. And eventually, all the bees go through this thing. Well, his, his tip was, it has to be a cool night where they want to come out of the honey supers and go down into the nest with the rest of the bees. Well, I had the thing on for two days before we went away to England. And it wasn't cold. It was warm those nights. And I was ready to go to England... I wanted to take the honey boxes off, but I didn't want to leave them in the garage. And the the bees were still completely in them, and I really didn't have time to address the situation. So I did what any other person would do. I left them there. I went away to England for however many days. I think it was a 10-day vacation. I had my reservations while I was there, thinking back about whether or not the bees were going to die in the box and all that other stuff but I was watching the weather while we were gone and I was assured that we had a couple cool nights while we were gone so I figured I'd either come back to a bunch of dead bees or bees empty in the box. Long story short, they're all still there. When I got back from England, the entire box was loaded and no, there were no ways for them to get in. They were still the same bees that I trapped in there the day before so I don't have a use for these bee escapes. I took the boxes off. I took the bee escape off. I put the first honey box on, put the fume board on, and within three minutes I had the box sitting in the cart. I put the next honey box on, within three more minutes I had the box in the cart. I don't know why I haven't had luck with this, but the eight-way bee escape gets a thumbs down from me. Now, I thought it was me, but I've subsequently talked to people about the use of these devices, either the Triangle or the 8-way. And in universally, every conversation I've had with anybody except for John Gott, (laughs) they don't like them, never could get them to work. A lot of people brush the bees off, they shake the bees off, they blow the bees off in some cases, But I don't think people are very fond of these devices. So I just thought I'd share that experience with you. If you have one of these, and you have a good experience, and you know some tip that I don't know about on how to tell the bees go down, uh, let me know. I'd really appreciate it. Kevin at bkcorner.org is my email address. Okay. It's been fun. It's been nice to record again. Recorded this entire thing on my iPhone while sitting during breaks at work. Uh, just haven't had a chance to sit behind the microphone at home, so if the audio quality is so-so, at least I've recorded an episode in my downtime. Um, I don't know when I'll be back. Don't know when I'll be back again. That's my Tourette's coming out. Uh... I have stuff ready, but, you know, I know this weekend, I'm going, boy, talk about nostalgia. My reunion, high school reunion, 1984, I graduated. That probably tells you how old I am. Um, is this weekend, this Saturday, going to that. Yeah. I'll be in my bees the next couple weekends. I'll be back with another recording. I think this will spur me to get behind the microphone more frequently. I've had enough of a break and I'm ready to get into some topics Um, so I I don't know that it'll literally be the weekend coming up this is odd that I'm recording on a Tuesday but um, glad to be back behind the microphone and I'll try to make it more frequently. I know that uh, I have the recording I made of sitting down with the beekeepers in London to put out. So maybe I'll try to produce that and put that out this weekend since I know I'm not going to record and I have that ready to go. That would be neat. I heard uh, Paul and Tracy talking about my visit on their podcast this week when I listened at the gym. It's the Beehive Jive if you're interested in that podcast. It's a good one. All right, with that, signing off. Like our beloved bees, when beekeepers go together, they can accomplish great things. Thanks for listening, everyone.
1: Good evening, everybody. Uh, I'm I'm glad to be here uh, with my friend, uh, Frank. Uh, Like I'm not a director, I am a manager of uh, the Vigis Partnership Malawi program. And uh, it is small office, there are uh, 12 staff, I lead the team, we do a number of activities, we have different projects Um, and today I I am accompanied by my friend uh, who leads food security and in food security um, there are a number of activities that we do uh, including beekeeping. So we are here right here to talk about the issues of beekeeping. But you might be interested also just to know what are the projects that we do. We do uh, we provide water to communities, poor communities. We support educational activities. We I encourage the communities to also engage in the, uh, business activities. Uh, we call it uh, economic empowerment. Um, We are also encouraging communities to raise a tree seedlings, so they can have forests around them uh, for both firewood, as well as keeping um, uh, bees, so um, we also have several other activities as a project.